Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, find us on the web at revivallifechurch.org. Hey, if you guys would uh, welcome up Pastor Carl with me, give him a big round of applause. Give it up for Corey, everybody. He worked hard all weekend. Yes, 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 yes. If you're standing, hug somebody near you because you're blessed. Tell somebody you picked the right church. You are smart and beautiful. Tell them you're smart and beautiful. You are smart and beautiful. You're beautiful. And you are beautiful and smart. What? Thank you. Me too. Good morning. Good morning. So we're going to, we're not ready for you, Olivia. Uh, we're going to receive an offering here. She's all ready to get up, but I'm not ready. We're going to receive an offering for the muses, so I'm going to give you a second to get that together, and let me uh, share a scripture. In uh, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul writes to the church of Corinth, says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside, you let him be as loud as he wants to be, that's fine. Olivia, he can be as loud as he wants, okay. Uh, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as, as he may prosper, so that no collection may be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem, and if it is fitting for me to go also... They can go with me. Okay, so basically Jerusalem was going through some hard times. Anybody know, like Jesus prophesied it to the churches. Hard times are coming, right? He was in Jerusalem saying bad times are coming. And he didn't just say a couple thousand years from now. He's talking to people. Amen? Bad times are coming. And Jesus, being a very accurate prophet, was correct that bad times came. <laughs> when he prophesied, he never had to say, I feel like, like he just knew. He was on with his words, amen? None of them fell to the ground void, amen? He didn't have to retract any. He didn't say, I'm just learning. He just, his words were on, amen? His words were on, right? And so according with his very word, as it, as it stands, uh, bad times came to Jerusalem. So they began collections for the churches. Paul wrote to the churches and said, you need to put aside some money to send it to the churches who are hurting. He didn't say, if you feel like it, it might be a good idea. And he didn't say, and I'll make you rich. He said, this is what you need to do because you're a believer. Amen. Right? And so, um, and he talks about the different churches. He told it and he said, I don't even want to have to, I don't, don't make me do this when I get there. Have it ready. Right? Have to have the money ready. And if those people want to go with me to take it or not, they can just go. And so we're collecting an offering for Kaleo this morning. Uh, they, they, he, you know, I know these folks and uh, they don't have any money. They don't have any money. They have, they're rich in heaven. They don't have any money. I know, a lot of, I know a lot of organizations. I was talking with them, and it's pretty funny. Um, I'm not going to talk long, I promise. A lot, of, a lot of organizations will do missions as fundraisers because you go, you take pictures of poor Africans, and you come back, and you raise money, and that's what funds their American ministry by going overseas. They don't have an American ministry. They just have overseas with poor people, right? And so I want you to just sow in today. We're going to receive it. Ushers, if you'll come forward, make your check out to Revival Life Church, and it's all going to them. Uh, we're not taking a cut of it. We don't even, um, we even eat the PayPal fees. If you're giving online, make sure you put special offering in the PayPal 
um, uh, in the in the instructions. And uh, and if you're not sure if this is for you, just say, Jesus, should I follow this scripture and give to people in need? Just ask Jesus. Just ask him, and he might say, he might say, no, you really need your nails done again this week. He may say that. He may he may say it. I don't know. I don't I don't speak for the Lord. I don't speak for the Lord. So you may want to just ask him, should I give? Do you want me to do you want me to store up my treasure on earth, Lord? Or Oh, if you need a cash offering envelope, raise your hand and Usher will bring you one. And again, on your envelope, if you'll write special offering or Mexico or the Muses or Broke Missionaries, whatever you want to put on there, and uh, we'll make sure that it gets there. Are you ready? Hold your offering nice and tight. Father, we love you. We thank you that you will multiply this. I thank you that you do good things with this money. And we pray over our offering that it does something for us. But Lord, on this one, we're asking that, you, that it multiplies for them. Lord, that it multiplies souls, it multiplies healings, it multiplies salvations. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen, amen. amen. Now, hey, um, pass the buckets if you would, ushers. Uh, Josh is, um, he, I, mean, uh, I, have to, I have to be very careful how I say this because there's some I hate when people say there's private stuff happening I can't talk to you about, but there's private stuff happening I can't talk to you about. Uh, and he's, um, we'll just say it this way, he's, he has a, he has, um, he's, he's in that room praying to raise somebody from the dead, right? So he was going to um, come this first service, uh, he's going to preach second service, Olivia's going to preach first service, so thank God she knows the language. And, um, and uh, are you guys ready to receive? Yeah. All right, stand if you would and just receive Olivia. Stay standing if you would and uh, stretch your hand if you would, just stretch your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for the truth of God's word. Father, we thank you that you are faithful. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you wouldn't come with a word. You would come with the word for our house today. I pray that you would awaken hearts and you would move in powerful ways. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Give it up if you would for Olivia Muse. Good morning, everybody. Am I at a good volume? Anyway. All right, surprise. <laughs> I found out about 10 minutes ago, I'm going to share with you guys this morning. Josh is needed elsewhere right now, but he'll be speaking second service, so maybe if there's space, you can catch a double feature. But um, we have a video that we just want to share with you guys. It just shows a little bit of the ministry, so we'll go ahead and start with that. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. In the Greek language, the strongest word for calling is the word kaleo. It is more than just a call. It is a summons by a king. That all the world will praise your grave. Kaleo International is a movement of missionaries, ministries, and churches that have answered that call. We are a tribe with a passion to preach the gospel of the unreached, to go to the darkest places of our world, to love not our lives so much as to shrink from death, to feed the poor, to heal the sick, and to equip the body of Christ. Redeemer, my healer. 
see individuals, communities, regions, and nations transformed by the love of Jesus. If you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. At Kaleo, we have heard the summons of our King, and we are willing to go no matter what the price. some of the stuff that we've been doing lately put together by our good friend Bart um this morning I was going to just kind of I felt like the Lord was kind of weaving a message through hopefully some of you were here the past couple of days but Josh started with talking about Moses on Friday and he was talking about the journey that Moses took from being an orphan to being raised in Pharaoh's house to to leaving Egypt and going into Israel and um just the Lord had been speaking to me a lot the past few months about knowing who you are and knowing who God is and that different ministries, different streams kind of preach different things. And I think a lot of times a pendulum kind of swings where at some points we're down on this end and at other points we're on the other end. And it's important to try to find a balance of what God has for us and what he's created us to be and who we are in him. And, um, because there's different teachings and it's all about a balance and we go to the poor and we go to the rich and we go different places and sometimes I'm in Africa with a burqa covering every inch of my body and it's okay and it's all in the name of the Lord and the gospel and the gospel going forth and what he calls us to do and where he calls us to go and knowing who I am regardless of what my outside appearance looks like and where I am and whether I'm in a mud hut in Africa or in a church in Boca Raton and um the Lord was just talking to me a lot about it's not about being poor, it's not about being rich, but it's about knowing who you are and being comfortable in all situations. And so I just wanted to start um, a story that everybody knows really well, just in Luke 15, verse 11, the parable of the prodigal son. I'm just going to read through it kind of quickly and then make a few points because I know most of you know this story but I'm just going to share what the Lord's been speaking to me about. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, a lot of times we read this scripture and we hear it preached and, you know, the main point is about the son that was lost and comes home. But there's two sons here and there's an identity crisis amongst them. And it's talking about the first son who comes to his father and says, give me my half. He didn't understand that everything that the father has was his. He had an inheritance of everything, but he settled for half. And part of an inheritance is normally you wait for that person to pass and you inherit it. But he was greedy and tried to speed up the process. And in, the, and in his urgency to get what he thought was his, he settled for less than what he had. He settled for less than his true fulfillment. How many of us are rushing ahead of what God is, has for us just to get a small portion of the inheritance that he has for us? It says that he went and squandered everything that he had and was living with the pigs and decided, what am I doing? Even the servants and slaves in my father's house live better than I do. So he decided it was worth it to swallow his pride and return home and ask his dad to just be a slave in his house. But it said that as he was approaching that the father saw him coming. Like he, the father wasn't surprised. He was waiting. He was watching. He was yearning for his son to come home. And he saw him in the distance, and he ran to meet him. God's watching. He's waiting. He's yearning for his sons and daughters to come home. He's not surprised when you come to him. He's been waiting. He's been yearning. He's been wanting this day for so long. And the point here, when he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, he's covering him. He's re-giving him his rights of royalty, that fine robe of royalty and putting the ring on his finger. In those days, in a wealthy family, a ring normally had the emblem of the family name. And so when he put that ring on his, fam on his finger, it was like he was reinstating him to the family. It's not just a piece of jewelry. It has great significance of the fact that that ring signifies you are my son. You carry the seal of the father, the seal of the family crest. At this moment, before you ask me anything, before you explain anything, before you apologize, tell me what you've done, get cleaned up, anything, you are reinstated. You are my son. And then the older brother, a lot of times we don't really talk about him because the focus is on the first one. But the other brother gets angry and he's mad and he says, I've never done anything wrong. I've been with you all this time. 
and you've never thrown a party for me. And the father says, don't you understand that you could have had anything at any time? Like everything I have is yours. Both sons could have had it all. Everything was theirs. But neither one of them realized what they had access to. It's like having keys in your pocket and you never take them out and open the storehouse. So the Lord was just speaking to me through these passages of knowing who you are and knowing who God is, knowing that your father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that he has it all. You have this grand inheritance. We don't have to compete with one another for a small portion when we can have it all. We're sons and daughters of the Most High King. We're princes and we're princesses. And that we are here on this earth to spread his gospel. And then the other end of the pendulum swings, and especially as missionaries, we feel like we need to be you know, poor and go sit with the poor and like we can't have nice things and we need to just give it all, give it all away, give it all away. And Josh and I have been both places and we've sat on each end of the pendulum and feel like the Lord's speaking to us a lot in this season of it's okay, like Paul talks about, it's okay to have a lot, it's okay to have nothing. The important thing is to be content in all places. And so the Lord took us through a season um, sometimes I think missionaries get a little bit of a bad rap. A lot of times they're not educated. They don't have a lot of money. They don't really have a whole lot of other options, so they go on the mission field. But um, Josh and I are educated. Most of our missionaries are very educated. We're doctors, lawyers, engineers, medical professionals. I left a six-figure job working at a hospital in the United States. Um, the Lord, it can be a hard decision. I grew up with a single mom. Um, not much money. It was hard to make ends meet month to month. I was determined that I was going to go to school, get a good education, and make good money. And I got my degree, and I was making good money. And and the Lord started talking to me about going on the mission field. And and um, it's really easy to say yes when you're at home. And then I was in Africa one day, and I was sitting there, and I just started crying out to the Lord. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can give up a six-figure income and go sit in the mud and do this every day in the heat of Africa in a mud hut, no electricity, no running water. I don't know. I don't know about this. And I was just crying out to the Lord, and I felt him say, you know, to you that's a lot of money. But he said, what I've called you to do is going to cost way more than anything you could ever earn. He said, and I will provide it. He said, if I've given you the vision for it, I'll give you the provision that you are not your provider. I am your provider. If you'll give it up and follow me, then I will cover it. So I said, yes, Lord, I understand. In my small mind, it's a big number, but in your kingdom, it's a small number. And so Josh and I were planning on moving to Africa, and the Lord completely turned our plans upside down, and he told us to move to Mexico. It was the last thing on our minds to do it didn't make sense. We had 10 churches in Africa. We had different projects going. We had orphanages. We had Bible training schools. We had all this stuff going. We didn't have anything in Mexico, but we felt so strongly that the Lord said, it's in my timing and in my season, and are you willing to put aside your plans and do what I'm asking you to do? And in that moment, we thought it was a test of kind of just laying our dreams on the altar, and that as soon as we passed the test, he'd hand it back to us. 
We thought we'd go to Mexico for a year, two years tops, and then we'd still move to Africa. And during that first year, we did a lot of stuff in Mexico, but we didn't learn the language. We used translators because we're like, there's no point. Josh was studying Arabic, like working on going toward Africa. And um, and the Lord started talking to us of, okay, you've got vision for your city of Reynosa. I've got vision for the whole nation and beyond. Are you willing to commit and give your life to Mexico and to what I want to birth here and the revival that I want to bring to my Latino bride? And when we said yes and committed to forever was when things started breaking open. The Lord wants that unconditional yes for that he can has the opportunity to break in and do whatever he wants without our time constraints, without our limits, without boxing him in. Now we have four bases in Mexico and we're looking to open a couple of more and we have vision for Antioch centers in every state in Mexico. We just started a new work in Honduras. The Lord keeps expanding our vision for Mexico, Central America, South America, all of the Spanish speaking world. And the Lord's just been taking us on this journey and Last night when Pastor Carl was talking, I was thinking about some of the journey that he had us on of, um, we said, we agreed to move to Mexico and didn't know what it would look like. I had only been to Juarez and Nuevo Laredo, two towns on our Texas border, and we felt like the Lord said, move to Reynosa. I'd never been there. And we had a friend who said, okay, you can live in the back of my medical clinic. And so we loaded up our car and drove to Reynosa, sight unseen, and moved into this little medical clinic. And the day before, we were planning on going. Um, Josh used to work for a different organization through a denominational ministry, and we had good financial backing. And the day before we left, they said, um, we're not okay with all the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues stuff that's going on. We think that you've gone too far. You need to come back. If you're willing to go to a certain seminary and do things the way we want you to do them, we'll continue supporting your ministry. If not, you're done. No more money. And so, of course, it's no decision. Like, you've got to do what you feel like is right and what the Lord has you doing. And so we said, you know, thank you for the years that you've supported us. We bless you. We love you. But we've got to do what we feel like the Lord's telling us to do. And so the next day, we set out for Mexico with some money in our bank account, but nothing coming in. And again, I was like, okay, this isn't a problem. We're moving to the border. Like, we're, we're, we live in Mexico, but we're not far from the United States. So it's like, I can solve this. I'll just get a job in Texas, and I'll work and support the ministry, and Josh will do what needs to be done. And the Lord rebuked me, and he said, I have called the two of you into ministry I have called the two of you to go to Mexico. I've called the two of you to minister there and to do what I've asked you to do. You are not the provider. I am the provider. And so I had to to submit to the Lord in that season. And he taught us so much of, of money coming from the most random sources and supplies coming out of nowhere. And when we thought we had nothing left, it would come through. We were asked to go staff the harvest school in Mozambique that summer, which costs about $5,000 for the two of us to go and do that. And when we were asked, we had $300 in our bank account and nothing coming in. 
but we felt like we were supposed to go. So we said yes in faith that we would go and we would staff the school. And um, it was getting closer and closer to time to go and we still had $300 in our bank account. And one of the pastors in Mexico, they were like, you can't just leave for three months without doing some big event before you go. You need to do a big pastor's conference and invite all the pastors in the city and do this big conference so that like there'll be momentum so that when you go, you can come back and things won't have fizzled out while you're gone. And we were like, we can't, we can't do a pastor's conference. We can't even buy our flights to Africa. And so we were like, oh, sh sh you know, sure, brother, we'll do a pastor's conference, not a problem. And so you have to, in Mexico, you feed everybody when you have a conference. That's what you do. So we've got to provide breakfast and lunch for 100, 200 pastors. We need to invite a guest speaker. Okay, we need about $1,000 to do a three-day conference, and we have 300. And so we invite the guest speaker. We use the money that we have to reserve the plate, the building and to put a down payment on the food. We um, are just believing that by the end of the conference, we'll have the money that we need to pay everything. And so the guest speaker arrives and she said, I was telling one of my friends at church that I was coming down to Mexico and I was gonna do a conference. And, and she said, oh, I wanna pay for the conference. We haven't said what the conference is gonna cost. And so she said, she handed me this envelope. I don't know what's in it, but here you go. Hopefully it'll help. We open the envelope. There's exactly $1,000 in the envelope to cover the conference. So first one, we pay all of our bills. We're able to leave Mexico without running away on all of our debt. And so we start driving toward Dallas because that's where you fly out of. But we still don't have tickets we still have our $300 and we're driving and our church secretary who also handled our finances but the church secretary calls us and he's like hey you know how's it going blah blah he was like I just wanted to let you know that you just received an anonymous donation for $5,000 so at that moment we were able to buy our tickets, go visit our families, get on the plane, go to Africa for the summer. And those are just a few of the stories from that year of what the Lord did of proving to us that he could provide and that we can trust him completely. And that even when we feel desperate and that we need to be our own savior, that he is there. And I could have gotten a job that year and I could have provided, but we wouldn't have learned the lessons that we learned or been able to do the ministry that we did. And through that season of living in the back of the medical clinic with no heat, no air conditioning, <laughs> and in Mexico it gets hot for those of you that have been there, and living a lot like the locals did. And when we moved there, the city was really violent. And um, there were a lot of, not a lot, a lot of the missionaries left when the violence came, but a lot, the ones that stayed moved across and lived in Texas. And they would cross back and forth each day and when the violence was really bad, they wouldn't come at all. And the locals recognized it. And they came to us and they were like, we realize that you endure what we endure. You're hot when we're hot, you're scared when we're scared. You hear the bullets at night just like we do. The streets are blocked by burning buses 
and you see it. And the Lord just gave us such a season of learning what the people go through and gaining favor with the people. They trust us completely and they believe that we really have a heart for them and that we really are there for them. And now the Lord has blessed us abundantly. We have a beautiful house and we were able to move from a tiny little, like, I don't know, 400, 500 square foot place into a beautiful four bedroom house. And it's just amazing what the Lord's done. And the locals see it as a blessing, not that we're Americans that came in with money, but that we came from where they were at and that the Lord blessed us. And so the Lord was just talking about faith and faith in him and that it doesn't, that we need our identity, that we're princes and princesses of the king and we have that crown on our head, but it's okay like Jesus to come in as a baby, to ride in on a donkey, to not have all of the grandeur of life, but that you can come in low as long as you know who you are. It doesn't matter if you're high or if you're low, if you know who you are. And the best example of that is the life of Jesus. He can be a king in robes and on a white horse with a sword, or he can be in carpenter robes, and he's the same person. He's the same Savior. In the Bible, going back to Moses, Josh was talking about Moses leading the Israelites out. And one day I was, we were visiting a church, and... Um, the pastor started talking about the Exodus, and he was talking about a man named Nashon. Now, some of you may be better Bible scholars than I am, but I was sitting there, and I was like, I've never heard of Nashon. I don't know what this guy's talking about. So either he's crazy, or I need to get out my Bible and read a little better. And so I started reading, and I'm reading, and I'm reading. And in my Bible, I can't find the name. So I have to get out my Strong's and all my different concordances. And, and I've got my, like, every book and reference and internet and everything that I can to find out what's going on. And I started digging into this story and reading and seeing what the pastor was talking about. And it talks about Moses and the Israelites and the Exodus. And in the Hebrew Bible, it talks about this man, Nashon, that was, um, he was the brother-in-law of Aaron. And it talks about how Moses, they come to the Red Sea and all the Israelites are grumbling and complaining and they just want to go back to Egypt where at least there was some food and you brought us out here to die and this is awful and Pharaoh and the chariots and everybody's coming and we're here at the sea and we're all going to die and grumble, 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 complain, complain, complain. And there's this one man, Nishan, that the Bible talks about. And it talks about while all the Israelites were complaining and grumbling and Moses, why have you done this to us? And you're going to just let us die, and this is awful. And Moses is trying to trust God to part the sea and that everything will be okay. And he talks about Nishan and the faith that he had and that he chose to start walking into the water. And that is an act of faith. He started stepping in when he didn't see anything that would give him faith. The waters hadn't started to part. Nothing had changed. It's still a raging sea. There's still the chariots behind them. It's still a desperate situation. And he starts stepping forward. And he goes into his ankles. And he goes into his knees. And he keeps going in faith that his God won't disappoint him. That his God won't fail him. And that he goes in until he is up to his head in the water. And then the waters part. 
How many of us have faith like that? Faith that God will provide, that he will provide the way that we can step out into waters that cover our heads because we know that he's going to save us. And when everyone around us is saying that the situation's hopeless, still choose to have faith. Still choose to be the one man, one, that chose to step out, that chose to step into the waters. And the Lord was just talking to me in that passage of not paying attention to what's going on around you, not paying attention to the storms of this life and storms of the world, and even when things look hopeless, that if you choose to step out, he'll meet you where you're at. He's not going to let you fail if he's called you to do something. And too often we're worried about success and failure and what if this doesn't work and what if it doesn't work, it's okay. But choosing to hear him and listen to what he has for you, and if you know that you've heard the Lord step out, if you really believe that you can hear the Lord and that the Lord speaks to you, then why not do what he says to do? Why are we stopped by circumstances and our friends and our family and the money in our bank accounts when he's told us to do something? If you really believe that he's told you, he'll provide. One time we were in southern Mexico and we had a friend of ours named Lisa who, she's a prophet and has a ministry in the United States and She's a Native American and does a lot of work amongst the Native Americans. And um, she has a lot of deliverance and teaching and trains college-age students. And she comes down and does ministry with us sometimes. And um, we do a lot of deliverance ministry in Mexico. And Josh and I do a lot of deliverance ministry. But this particular day, um, we were in church service. And this lady came in. And Lisa was kind of watching her. And she said, that lady's a witch, which is pretty common in Mexico. Here, not so much, but in Mexico, there are a lot of witches, and they're very forthcoming with it. They don't hide it. Like, they'll say, I'm a high witch of such and such order, and, you know, they're proud of the powers that they hold. And this lady came in, and Lisa could tell. She said, that lady's a witch, and she's been sent here to disrupt the service. And so she was in the back of the room doing what she does, and Josh was up front preaching and having the church service, and after after the service was over, um, Josh had done an altar call, and the lady actually came forward, and um, kind of a little bit of story of like the sorcerer. She wanted the greater power. She saw what we were able to do compared to what she was able to do, and she wanted our power, and so she came forward to be saved. And Lisa started talking to her, and she was saying, you know, basically it doesn't work that way. You're like, you all or nothing. You can't just use salvation and the Holy Spirit to add to your black magic. Like, you have to repent and turn from your ways and really, really, truly want the Lord and really want salvation because we're not going to play with what's going on here today. And so they started talking and the lady was like, no, I really, I really want to be saved. And, and so there, Lisa's ministering to her and and um, starts praying for her. And while she's praying, the lady starts manifesting. And she starts kind of slithering like a snake. And different stuff starts happening. And, and um, Lisa's praying. And the lady, she's spitting and snarling. Different stuff's happening. And, and then she starts saying, do you know who I am? I am such and such witch of such and such order. And I've sacrificed this and this and this to have the powers that I have. And 
I can open doors without touching them and I can come through walls and I can blah, blah, blah. And she's like rattling off all the things that she's able to do and trying to intimidate with the power that she has. And she was like, and I can see in the spirit and I can see auras and I can see, you know, all this stuff. And Lisa's just kind of listening to her and and then um, she looks at her and I'm kind of like, what's she going to do? What's she going to say? Like, like, I've never done this. I don't know. So. I'm just kind of watching, like Shakara, but like I'll pray over here. And like, I'm glad she's doing this, not me. She's got more experience than I do. And I'm watching. And so the lady keeps going and Lisa's like, she's like, all right. She was like, I know you can see in the spirit. I can see in the spirit. She said, I want you to look at me. I want you to look at me. She said, now look and see what you see in the spirit. Do you see the crown that's sitting on my head? She said, I'm a daughter of the Most High King. She said, I have all power and all authority in this place. She said, and right now, in the name of Jesus, I command all demons out. And the lady was completely set free. But in that moment, I realized we're all walking through life with the crown on our head. We can't see it, but it's there. And the demons can see it. But we don't act like there's a crown on our head. We get intimidated and we get scared. And we may be walking down the street and we see something that scares us when we go this other way. And what are we intimidated by? We walk through our streets and we pray and we go and we do and there's gunfights every day and it's okay because we feel like the Lord's told us to be there and if we're in the perfect will of the Lord then we're in the safest place that we can be and we believe with everything in us that the Lord has spoken to us about what we are to do and he's given us plans and he's given us vision and he's given us a future and that the enemy can't take us out because we have a destiny and we have a job to do and that Someday, if the Lord asks us to lay down our lives, that's okay. But not until that point. The enemy's not going to take us out. We're not going to be murdered. There's a difference between being murdered and being martyred. There's a choice to lay down your life, but the enemy cannot take our lives. We refuse to enter that possibility. We believe Psalm 91 is God's covenant of protection, that he will protect us from the arrows and from the lions and the adders and every foul snare of the enemy. And we walk in that security daily that the Lord is our protection and that he is our provider. Josh had a vision when we were at harvest school. And he had this vision one day during worship and he was laying there. And he was all of a sudden taken up into this vision where he was a little kid. And there were a bunch of little kids around him. And Jesus walked in and he was dressed in his brown carpenter's robe and he started reaching out his hand and picking up kids and as he would pick them up they would start running and playing and laughing and just having a good time as children playing like they do on the other side of that wall and they're just having a good time with Jesus and they're laughing and they're having fun and and then out of that vision he was like pulled out of that with the kids and playing and laughing and he was put over in the enemy's camp 
and he saw all around him darkness and he saw the demons and he saw and he was sitting there and they were all shaking and they were trembling and he was like what's going on why are they they look like they're in fear and then he looked to see what they were looking at and in the vision he saw Jesus transform and he was no longer the carpenter in brown robes but he was in the white robe shining light with the piercing eyes on the white horse with a sword in his hand and the children transformed from children to warriors and it was they were soldiers and it was an army with the king riding into battle and the laughter shifted from laughter to a war cry that shook the enemy's camp and he saw that we get to experience Jesus as children and to laugh and have fun with our king and while we're worshiping and praising and dancing and being with Jesus the enemy sees the war cry personally in Mexico I do a lot of ministry in the prison I do a lot of ministry in the brothel and that's mainly before we had our son that's mainly what I did every day and our Carl talked about it a little bit our prison in Reynosa isn't just a little jail it's a huge prison maximum security prison everybody that's in it has committed a violent crime normally murder and we've got about 200 women in the women's prison, 1,500 men in the men's prison, and they're pretty much all murderers or rapists. And we go in a couple of times a week and we minister with the ladies and we feed them and we love on them and we pray for them and I teach them how to make jewelry and to give them skills for when they get out of prison, if they get out of prison. And go into the brothel and it's a huge space, hundreds and hundreds of rooms and it's like Carl said it's city blocks basically it's an all-inclusive city there's restaurants there's bars there's stores there's a medical clinic there's everything and um, one way in and one way out and the men drive up and they pay their admittance at the little toll booth and they drive around and they pick where they want to go and and I've been given favor to go in and they don't charge me admittance they don't make me pay or do anything to get in I have freedom Monday through Friday in the afternoons I have freedom to do whatever I want to do and I go room to room and I walk and I take cookies or treats of whatever kind I have and I try to bless the girls as best I can and meet with them and talk with them and pray with them and encourage them that this isn't what the Lord has for them that there's more and that he has a better life for them, and that when they're ready to get out, that I'll get them out. And those are my greatest days, when I get to get one of the girls out and send them home to be with their families. Most of them have families in other parts of the country that have absolutely no idea what their daughters are doing. On the border, we have a lot of American factories, um, Samsung, LG, Panasonic, you name it, we've got them in our city. and a lot of people from the south from farming areas come up to work at the factories because they have this idea of an American factory making great money and unfortunately I'm embarrassed to say that our factories treat the people horribly and they make less money there than they can at other jobs and so they come up to make money 
to send back to their families and realize that they can't even make enough to live on, let alone send money home. But they don't want to disappoint their families, so they go into prostitution so they can send money home to their families. And that's just one of the reasons. There's story after story of why the girls end up where they are. And um, we meet with them and pray for them. And normally, the most often, the thing they want prayer for is for their kids. They're all doing what they're doing for their kids, to feed them and to clothe them and to take care of them as best they can. So we go in there and we pray and we meet with them and we feed them and we do everything that we can to love on them and to prove to them that Jesus loves them too and that he wants an encounter with them. And I took a mission team in there with me one time and we were going around and one of the girls got really upset and really angry and just started crying in the middle of the brothel. And she looked at me and she said, what we're doing's wrong. And um, I thought she was upset by what she was seeing because a lot of people get a little shook up. It's, um, it's not a beautiful place. And she said, what we're doing's wrong. What you're doing's wrong. She said, Jesus is our king. He's our Lord. He's pure and holy. You can't bring him to a place like this. It's wrong. And I said, you know, I come here to meet Jesus. He was here before I ever set foot in this place. He loves these girls more than I ever can. And he wants them free more than I do. I'm just part of his plan to help get these girls out. And I said, I come here to meet him. I feel the Lord more strongly in this place than I do anywhere else. And I feel like he's given me this place and he's given me authority in this place. And I'm not scared of the cartel or the pimps because when I walk in and I put my feet in this brothel, I own it. It's my place. He's given me authority in this place. I have that crown on my head. I step in and I own it. So just right now, I just want to ask the worship team to come up and the ministry team and just if you want to ask the Lord what he has for you and to ask the Lord to increase your faith and increase your courage and that you can be that Nishan in your community and step out and do what he's asked you to do, to step out in faith, to trust him for his provision, that you're not your own savior. Cry out for him. Cry out for what he has for you. Ask him to speak to you this morning. The altars are open. Amen. Hey, thank you for coming. If you're a guest, we'd love to meet you. Uh, we'll be in the lobby. Um, if you want more information about Kaleo Ministries, they have some handouts in the lobby. Um, if you hang out, you can meet uh, Josh and Olivia. And I just really felt during the meeting, uh, maybe you're a person of means um, and you want to partner with a specific project. Like you, like you have no problem giving and you could just give, but they have projects you could give to. You can say, I want to... Recently, they, someone just gave 30000 They built a um, ministry school 
uh, and um, a building. Uh, they, they split it between two buildings. They built a church in Kenya and a ministry school, a mission school in Mexico. So if, you, if that's something that might interest you, that you can write a big check to sponsor a project, they'd love to talk to you about that. And we don't have to be in the middle of that. You can deal directly with them on that. But again, uh, thank you for coming. We love you, Revival Life Church. Um, we'll be in the lobby. And um, if you want prayer, you're welcome to come forward. Amen. Would you give it up for Olivia, please? God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Josh is up here if you want to get one last prayer before the weekend ends. We'd be happy to pray. Part fire.